Hello, and welcome to the Color Nerds Comic Podcast, episode 28. I'm Carissa, and I'm joined by our other nerds, Ryan. Hello. Rory. Together, we take on the week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now. Go read this week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book of the week, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. And to surprise to no one, this week's pick of the week goes to Rocket Raccoon and Groot number four. Our companion song for tonight is Kick-Ass by the Groovy Ghoulies, my personal favorite, um, one of my favorite bands of all time. And the reason why is because the lyrics talk about having to kick ass and prove yourself and not really being um, about winning, but about being the best that you can, and I really think that um, that's what this issue is about. And, but I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> this isn't a contest. It's more a state of mind. It's not about violence. It's of a different kind. It's not about causing pain. It's not about throwing down. It's a psychological. Source of inspiration. Gotta kick ass. I gotta be kick ass. Rocket Raccoon and Groot Number 4 by Marvel Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Aaron Conley, color by John Francis Bellew. I'm looking forward to this, you know, Scotty Young fan. So the first opening page is them back at the campsite talking to the kids and basically Rocket saying how he played the greatest all-time prank on Groot, but then he's going to go on to a new story for the kiddies. That's just a little cute little opener that nods back to the last arc. So then it opens up, and if you didn't know better, you might think you're on the wrong comic because it looks like they're playing, at first I thought it would look like, like some sort of comic equivalent of WoW. It looked like an MMORPG, but... And I'm like, okay, they're going to be an MMORPG, and then it's going to cut cross. But it was actually old school tabletop. It was like a D&D-like thing. And so all of Rocket and Deadpool and Iron Man and, like, all different characters are sitting around. At- Even Beta Ray Bill was there. Yeah. And they're sitting around playing Dungeons & Dragons, basically. Or I think they called it, like, Magic and... It's like Eminem or something is what the DM screen said. I think it's Monsters and Magic, I think, is their game. Well, I think it was Magic and Monsters, technically. I remember it seeing Magic first on the thing. But anyways, but the whole thing is, so Rocket's the DM, and he's getting really mad because Tony isn't following the rules. Tony's just like, I transform into this mecha bot like steampunk thing, and I annihilate you all. And he's like, well, first off, you didn't roll. Second of all, you can't do that. And, you know, so, and then someone else is like, I it basically all kind of complaints and any sort of actual tabletop role player knows and feels the pain. They know this. They can relate to this scenario. That is actually probably why I picked it. And so they get into an argument and eventually people start leaving and someone's like, ah, something real demons in an alternate limbo is more fun than this because someone's something demon. And so Rocket and Tony get into it and Tony's like, well, that's okay, I gotta leave. I have a fantasy football game I have to go to. And then Groot and Rocket tell him how he's such a nerd. Because, you know, that's just pulling numbers and watching TV. Which I have to agree. I think I've made that argument about fantasy. I think I've made that argument, too. Dude, 
This is the classic argument. This is the classic argument. And so I think as a, a nerd and other fellow nerds who might be reading this can really relate to Rocket and Groot's point towards Tony. And so Tony makes a wager with Rocket saying, well, you can't even last a day in mine. And Rocket's like, you're on. I can do this. And so... Tony's like, oh, and then they start, they take off in a spaceship, and Rocket's like, where the hell are you playing a fantasy football game off the planet? Who else is doing this nerd crap? <laughs> and so he's like cramming numbers and trying to study, and Groot's just like, you know, talking to him. And p- apparently, what it turns out to be, it's like they're playing Blood Bowl on some planet for realsies. <laughs> and he's like in his Iron Man suit, well, like a bigger version, more like a Hulkbuster suit. I, I think it's really funny that he made a special Iron Man suit to play football in. Yeah, and Rocket's like they gave like his mask a mascot who they said died like with dignity or something or outfit, and so they're gonna play. And you know, basically they're playing. And it shows all sorts of like like movement of panels, and those are pretty good. The art wasn't really my favorite as I've seen out of this particular comic book series. It was okay. It kind of grew on me, but it wasn't like it definitely fit with like a Scotty Young type of theme. I I think it definitely had that feel to it. But I digress. So um, but eventually you know he, he's like getting hurt and stuff. And eventually and there's like yes um, what were you saying? There's love like the water boy references or just like the 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 typical thrown in there football sports coach insert <laughs> stereotype here. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say Gomer Pyle because that's how he kind of was yelling and stuff like that. So, but then Rocket realizes that, oh no, I can win this. I'm just going to do it this way. So then he starts like being himself. He starts like firing because there's no rules. It's, it is like down and dirty and he starts firing. But the best part is, so he asked, there was like a legit like wizard there that looked like some of the characters from the first panel the playing sports <laughs> and he takes the thing and he starts yeah. basically he does everything that tony did to him during their game he pulls out and uses it in the the football game someone's a big old demon and yeah he summons a big old demon and he uses magic and basically he wins and the, he gets wins the wager and the best i think the great reward at the end is so it shows him playing and he's like okay tony you can roll and so tony rolls he goes to go 17 and then it shows him playing like a little <laughs> yeah. bunny about to eat like an enchanted carrot or something and it's like the cutest big eyed pink fluffy bunny it's like and tony's just pouting and i'm like i love it tony's new character's named cutoria <laughs> Yeah, it's a cute bunny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it was so cute. It was great. I, I so I loved it. It just really spoke to that tabletop gamering me mixed with Rocket and Groot and just the payback. And I love so I love people putting Tony in his place. Sometimes that's always really fun for me. Yeah. The only downside I thought was like to me for was the artwork actually. So and yeah, I'm into football. You were saying how you thought this wouldn't be my pick because football. <laughs> I used to be a cheerleader. I know some things. And plus, I like making fun of fantasy football. No comments. Hey. <laughs> Sounds like a. A lifetime movie title. I used to be a cheerleader. I know a few things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was. I highly enjoyed this one. Your thoughts? Here's the way I felt about it. Is I come. I'm kind of with you on that, Carissa, with the artwork. I didn't think it was bad per se, but it wasn't really my thing. I guess is the best way to say it. So, but I mean, it wasn't badly done or anything like that. It was pretty well, pretty well organized, and it just really just didn't do much for me. The story was great. It was hilarious. I've been having this exact same argument with. Uh, fantasy football players for probably 20 years you know over which is nerdier fantasy football or D. so it's nice to see them like kind of like bring up that classic theme and they kind of like hit all the points on that argument so you know i definitely i definitely enjoyed it there's plenty of points that were i was laughing especially when rocket you know starts pulling out his weapons and going to town you know he's like oh you know (laughs) 
look, that guy's got his chest, there, his heart out of his chest or something along those lines. I just really like was cracking. <laughs> and the coach was like, I love seeing the heart. Yes. Yeah. It, it really spoke to me on a, like in an intimate way, you know, on an intimate level. <laughs> there, yeah. I mean, there were things I, the art, like you said, was kind of, it's not my, my thing. Like it feels very much like a Saturday morning cartoon, which I mean, fits like you were saying, fits really well with Scotty Young's writing. Yes. I, I yes. don't know. I just, the art didn't totally click with me. There are lots of like little. It was a little sketchier mm-hmm. than I was used to. Like a little too many more squiggly lines that I used to. There were some little details in the art that I, I liked. Like I liked uh, when Groot was in the, the stands, his little like uh, sign that he holds up just says, I am Groot. <laughs> and then there's also a, a part where Rocket is fighting a big robot and he hits the robot like in the he- in the chest with like a sledgehammer and the robot's head like pops up like a Rock'em Sock'em robot, which I thought was. Oh, I missed that. It's yeah. It's when he, when he goes, <laughs> when he starts pulling out his weapons and goes to town. It's right before he, uh, you know, shows the, the coach the heart by ripping out the other person's heart and showing it to him. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a fun little Rocket and uh, Groot yeah. uh, issue. You know, I, I really did like the fantasy football and the D&D parts of it. Yeah, it definitely was fun. It, was de- it definitely I mean, was that fun. Was, if you're missing your Saturday morning cartoon uh, vibe with some ultra violence and <laughs> demon summoning in it, this is the one for you. I do have a question. So I was trying to identify the people sitting around the table. So I saw She-Thor. It's just Thor. I know it's just Thor, but I was clarifying because my next question was, there was some weird orange thing also dressed like Thor, and who the hell that's, is that? That's Beta Ray Bill. Okay, that's who you were talking about. Because I was like, yes. what the hell? That's why well, I was Well, I haven't seen in the new the new Marvel stuff, so this might be his his first appearance here. Okay. And then the, who I didn't know the character who actually stormed off about summoning demons. I couldn't tell who that that's, was. That's Magic from the New Mutants, or I, I think now she's on the the team with Magneto's evil mutant team. Okay, she was drawing, I mean, we've seen her before, and I recognize the costume, I'm like, I couldn't really tell, because the drawing styles was like, I think I know who that was. <laughs> I was like, okay. So there's there's Deadpool, there's Thor, there's Magic, there's Iron Man, Beta Ray Bill. It looks like the Wasp, which is weird, because the Wasp isn't in, that's a new thing that's coming out, so... And there's the Scarlet Witch, Miss mm-hmm. Marvel, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Groot. Awesome. That's your D&D adventuring party. Yeah, that's a fun party to play with, I sound like. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine, I can see Groot's frustration, though, trying to keep them all on track. Oh, and I miss Sam Wilson. Oh, really? Uh, oh, Captain America that. is also there. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to have to go look through like the combat scenes again to see everything that I missed. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of little little details in there of them fighting. What did you end up giving your, your pick, Carissa? I gave it four and a half pink bunny Tonys. Um, wait, what's the scale real quick? Is it one to four? So it's it's one to five. Gotcha. Okay, fans. yeah. Because I'd heard you guys do that on previous podcasts and stuff, but I wasn't sure, like... I was like, "What? Where's? How far does the scale go?" <laughs> because I'm like, "Is three and a half good or horrible?" <laughs> um, let's see here. I would I would yeah. say that I would definitely give this one, yeah, about a three and a half or disembodied hearts. <laughs> Sweet mecha dragon. I give it uh, three and a half. You can do it. So I had uh, another book that I chose just for the basically for the pure fun of it. Uh, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number five from DC Comics, written by James Tenney and the Fourth, art by Freddie E. Williams the Second, colors by Jeremy Caldwell. So th- this one is the turtles have come into Gotham through like a dimensional portal, and then Shredder followed them, and Batman and the turtles have teamed up to take down Shredder, and Shredder's teamed up with Ra's al Ghul, and they've taken 
taken over uh, Arkham Asylum, and the turtles, the mutagen doesn't work in this universe, so it's it's starting to go away from them. So they're starting to turn back into like their turtles. So that's kind of the the setup of what's happening in this one. I really like the the art in this. I say especially like Batman, like that first panel with Batman. I'm like, wow, yeah, he looks he nice. does. He looks really cool. Um, they can draw both like the turtles really well and batman like they all look awesome i would i really love looking at the the art in this they all look really really cool yeah there's also there's a part where damian wayne finds the turtles hanging out in the the bat cave and like tries to fight them there were a couple parts i really liked in that like scene there was uh the video game that they were playing which i guess is their their favorite game which is pony racers which i'm guessing is like a my little pony game <laughs> but they they basically hacked into the bat donatello hacked into the bat computer with his video game console and is using like the giant like multi-screen to play his video games because you know he couldn't resist so like damien you know tries to do his like batman like crouch on top of the monitor and like intimidate them and like casey jones just starts like laughing i'm like what are you like five years old and then when he jumps down to fight he like puts his hand on his forehead like he would with like a little kid trying to like swing at you <laughs> but damien does this like crazy like jujitsu throw on him and they start fighting and then he like he sees the video game that they've set up and that is kind of what convinces him that they may not be all that bad which i thought was a nice little like teenager like bonding moment you know <laughs> then they, they find out that they you know have to go to arkham and i think the turtles are going back through a portal but they don't actually show them leave through the portal so i'm i'm guessing they're going to show up at like the final climactic battle when you know batman can't do it on his own and then the, tur- the turtles show up but I, I don't know for sure yet so they go to arkham and they meet up with the penguin who has previously kind of like betrayed the shredder because shredder is crazy and is like taking over penguin's criminal empire to fuel all his stuff but i guess the the shredder found out about it and has used the mutagen on all of the arkham asylum inmates so you get this really sweet panel where you see all of the bat villains turned into uh, tmnt that's me that panel i had to stop and look at it a couple times and like look at everyone who got transformed it's pretty cool it's fun mm-hmm. if you like batman and you like the the turtles i think that this one is is a lot of fun i enjoy the art a lot. The plot, I mean, the plot is really just a reason to basically take your Batman action figures and your Team NT action figures and kind of smash them together. But it's it's fun. It feels like a Batman story. It feels like there are moments that are, like, all the characters are right. So I, I, the art, to me, is just the standout on this. And then I also, I really like that last panel where, like I said, where all the yeah. the villains got turned into into all the Team NT creatures. Like, you have Poison Ivy as, like, a praying mantis now. Oh, that's, that was my least favorite of all of them. That's- and then uh, Two-Face is, like, a, is that a baboon? Joker's like a crazy scorpion, not scorpion, a uh, cobra thing. The Riddler is a fox. The Mad Hatter is a rabbit, which is kind of cool. Mr. Freeze is like a bear of some kind. Mm-hmm. Bane is like a big elephant. And then, oh, I can't remember his name. The guy who has the puppet, the like mobster puppet. He's like a parrot. Oh, I can't remember his name either off the top but of my head. I like that his, his puppet isn't actually transformed, though, because, of course, you know, the mutagen wouldn't work on a yeah. puppet. But And then uh, the penguin is, of course, an actual penguin now. And he looks amazing, like, even from the panel before. I'm like, he looks cool. Yeah, it is yeah. It is pretty cool. I, I really enjoyed this one. I like seeing the, the turtles. I like seeing Batman. I like seeing them together. So my thoughts on this one is, especially with regards to the artwork, I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with the old school Eastman and Laird comics. That's one thing that I loved about it right off the bat, is, like, the style that they, that they were doing, their rendering and stuff. It's, it's classic Eastman and Laird. Like, he's, a, he's a consultant on this book. 
Oh, no wonder. So that's something that I definitely dug about right off the bat, you know, brought me back to my childhood. So uh, I definitely dug that. I'm totally in agreement with you on that one, Ryan, is that basically it's it's a cool story. It's an awesome story. You know, it depends on how you, you know, it's like how seriously do you take your Batman? Because it's a little bit less, you know, it's a little goofy for your average Batman plot. But it's hella fun. I mean, can you really go wrong with the turtles and Batman? There's a there's a cool scene where, like, you know how Batman always lands on, like, the bat signal? Where all the turtles are on the bat signal and that Batman, like, crouch pose? I like that, too. I also like the, uh, uh, I think it was Michelangelo in, in the very beginning. You know, somebody asked him, like, where bat- Batman's at, and he's like, he's out on Batman's secret missions doing Batman's secret thing. Doing secret Batman stuff. <laughs> yeah. And they have the special font for his... Totally cracked lettering and stuff for it, like almost like a headline, like a yeah. like a marquee type. I think it was almost like when they black something out. So there's like he was actually saying, but they're like insert secret Batman stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely cracked me up. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a good a good run. I thought, you know, I enjoyed it. The weird crossover ones. I always like to think of those Scooby Doo episodes they used to have, where all of a sudden like the Globetrotters were there, or yeah. like or like the Three Stooges, <laughs> or even Batman. And that course, that's sometimes what it feels like. It's a little bit comical, but they nail the personalities of those characters so well that it almost seems plausible. I mean, it is a little bit more of a campier Batman, especially nowadays if you're used to the darker, grittier Batman that where they're taking it to. But if you think back to like an Adam West or even early Batman, I think it's a little bit more acceptable in, in that way. But yeah, the artwork is just fantastic. And that really just like makes me want to read it. And then yeah, it is kind of like the playtime. Like, n- even like just nerds or kids, it's like, I want to play with my Batman and my Ninja Turtles together. What would happen? I, it kind of sells it. I think if you're going to do it, at least this way, it kind of works. If you're going to do it and it's done, then this is it. This is Lisa, it done well, but it is still kind of a silly idea, if that makes sense. Like, if you're doing it, it's silly. After that's aside, this is a good yeah. version of that. I gave it three and a half pony racers. I'm going to go ahead and give it, you know, I, I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. It was pretty fun. I loved that artwork right off the bat. So I'm going to give it. I gave it four in your face because I love Michelangelo. So Rory, you had a, a dark and brooding, uh, hero for us as well. Oh yes, you know this was really fun. Well, not fun is the right, but fun for me. Um, you know, I'm not really familiar with Moon Knight at all. Like as far as like in the whole Marvel universe. So um, when I read the whole, you know, the description of this, it kind of automatically uh, drew me to it. Basically, it's going over. It's uh, it's starting over and kind of like reintroducing Moon Knight. Obviously, since it's the number one, the story takes place. He's he's in this insane asylum. So this one is from Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Greg Smallwood, colors by Jordi Belair. That's one thing I do want to start with is the art on this. The art is... I've been trying to think of the way to really describe this, but I don't want to say it's rough because that's not the right... Ac- like it's, it's very accurate, but it's kind of like the way it's mm-hmm. done is kind of like almost frazzled, which kind of lends to this whole theme of of moon knight you know kind of you know losing his mind so that's one thing i wanted to point off right off the bat is it is it the artwork although it's not like you know your typical comic book super crisp you know hard lines and all that stuff i really did like that and it really lent lent itself to the atmosphere so it starts off with the main character who is mark specter 
Correct. So the main character, his name is Mark Spector. He ends up waking up in this insane asylum out of nowhere. He doesn't know what's going on, what, what's happening. He kind of has like these little flashbacks and stuff throughout the story. The orderlies go and they, you know, kick the tar out of him and whatnot. And basically what happens throughout the the run of the of the story is that he's He's flashing back and forth between, you know, his, the his norm, what would we would consider the real world, and also connecting with. Have, he's having these conversations with this power. With the basic, the the basis of this story is is you have Mark Spector. He's in this insane asylum. He wakes up out of nowhere, knows how, no idea how he gets there. He initially has some altercations with the orderlies. They give him a good beating. Then they kind of like bring him out and like threaten him and stuff. Eventually, he starts uh, being contacted by this i guess you'll call it spirit or god or whatever conshu and it's like it's basically like cluing him in onto what he needs to do to get out of this insane asylum so it's it's kind of i think my only disappointment with the story on this one is that you know it's a number one so i understand that there's only so much they can do you know but uh one thing that it does kind of seem like very short but basically to to recap the whole story is that he goes through and he meets a couple of, of the other inmates in this insane asylum. They kind of give him some like clues to help him get through the whole experience. He eventually ends up meeting up with the with a psychiatrist who explains to to him that he's been there since he was like eight or ten years old. And that this whole Moon Knight thing is just a construct of his imagination. There is a real Moon Knight, but it's not him. It's just something that he he's grabbed onto and has created this false personality for himself. And they've gone over and over and over again through him eventually realizing that that's not him and then blocking it out and starting all over again from the base, basics. But so then he, after that, he's already like listened to Khonshu and he's listened to all these other people that are in the insane asylum and he's kind of decided for himself what he needs to do which is break out so then he <laughs> the the scene on this is great so he's he has steals a red pen from the psychiatrist, um, right? yes the psychiatrist that he's interviewing with so he steals this red pen from her and then when he's in bed he basically uh he basically wraps himself up in his his like sheets to make like the little kid uniform of uh, of what Moon Knight should look like, and then when the the orderlies come in, you know, after he like makes this big ruckus to get their attention, they come in there intending to like do him harm, and then it, I thought it was a really cool scene. They walk in and he's like looking all crazy with this sheet over his head, and they're like, you know, what are you doing? And he's he says to them, I just wanted to see your real faces. And then proceeds to kick the crap out of him. And then what it does is it flashes over to show their faces. And they're these Anubis-headed, like, Egyptian-looking enemies and stuff. So it kind of, like, marks them. So then he just beats them down, gets away, sneaks up, and he gets up to the to the roof of this... To the roof of the building that he's in. And then he looks out over the city, and it's this awesome, this awesome shot of the city. But it's also the city with, like... There's pyramids and like sand is like completely like all throughout the streets and stuff like that. I thought that, that was a really pretty and it was an interesting like visually panorama that they put in in there. And just I can't say how much it like over and over again, like the artwork in this one, even though it's not like your typical comic book art style, 
like it really just grooved me throughout the whole thing so anyways and then that point the uh, orderlies catch back up on him pull his pull his uh, sheet off his head and then everything goes back to normal so that's kind of where they left it hanging from there honestly like that's the only the only downside is that it's like visually it was just fantastic i would have asked for a little bit more to start off a number one but they used a lot of large panels to create a lot of these scenes and so you know what are you gonna do it definitely made me want more though i mean you know by the time i had finished this i was like oh i'm so glad i started this even though i've never really like paid any attention to this superhero so what do you think ryan Uh, i really i liked it i think that the the way, like you're talking about the the art, the art in this is just fantastic. Yes. There's they do a, a couple almost like different. This, the artist is doing like multiple styles. There's this kind of like dreamy when he's remembering yes. things. It's it's much rougher, more dreamlike, and then the the real world in the asylum. It's kind of very. It feels like very gritty. You know the the artwork. Yes. And then I love when he puts on like how badass of an artist do you have to be to make a guy dressed up in a sheet that he's wrapped around his head and made like a like you said like a little <laughs> kid cape out of look awesome. <laughs> but that moonlight so true, so true. Like it looks so right for the the character. It's a really awesome drawing, and I love that when he puts on the mask that he can see the Egyptian like world around him. Like he can see, you know, he can see Anubis. He can see the the city with the pyramids and all the like the flying monsters in the air and all that stuff. Um, I also yeah. like that in the story. I don't know who's right. I don't know if he's just crazy yes. and imagining all of this, or if he actually is moon knight and this is like a you know prison that's been constructed for him the only thing that i know is i know that moon knight is mark specter is his name but you know marvel did their relaunch so is this going to be i don't know I, I tend to believe he is moon knight but it was a pretty convincing argument they laid out for him that he wasn't moon knight and then you were talking about some of the panels uh, some of the way they construct like there's there's that fight scene where he's fighting the the like anubis like jackal monsters and the billy and bobby yeah and the the panel is all circles where it's like Basically, each circle is showing like him like punching or kicking them. I thought that was like an interesting little way to, to do a panel. And then there's oh yeah, I... there's also panels where he's kind of like questioning himself or thinking about it, and the actual panels like cut his face or body into like different parts. So it's kind of like gives you that sense of being like disoriented. So I thought the art was really good. Um, Jeff Lemire writes really dark stories really well. So I I really enjoyed this. I was looking forward to this. Um, I wasn't sure. I was kind of confused how they were taking it at first. But yeah, I hate to sound like a broken record, but a lot of things I had planned to say, you guys have already covered because <laughs> the artwork was very impressive. And like, yeah, my favorite panels were the sheet hood, the vision changed over to Billy Bob and or Billy and Bobby being the Anubis. And then, yeah, the, the little panel change with the pyramid and the, and the dunes and all that. I like that shift in realities kind of or in perceptions those were like my favorite panels that really stood out in the story i also thought it was interesting how they were when they were showing on the news moon knight with the red um or scarlet stained scarlet stained stained glass yes scarlet that you know the person that was talking to them like had like a little stained glass looking like vest on i was like oh like they're trying to echo things and then the chick then the psychiatrist was in red and like like they're like they're trying to play with where you think connections are and they aren't i really like it like you said it gives that real sense of disorientation where you're not really sure what's going on and the red's so like prominent because you know for the reality shots a lot of them tend to be like very white beige or you know like are bluish and so the red i noticed stands out so prominent 
on not only her but also all the uh, the orderlies and stuff, you'll notice that there's a lot of red going around. You know, it's like they're it's like they're pointing out the henchmen. And then when the god's talking, he's sitting there saying, "Look around you. Everything is boarded up. There's no window." So like when there's when she's interviewing him, it looks like there would be a window behind her, but it's all bricked over, which seems kind of odd for an office because you know that she's in an office. Like, hurry, get to the roof. You need to see me. You need to see the moon. They don't want you to see the moon, which again would make sense if they want to take away yeah. Moon Knight's power. You know. To let him be under the moon, you know. So, yeah, I really liked it. Well, I mean, Jordi Belair is just is one of the best colorists in the business, and Moon Knight. It's hard because Moon Knight is a lot of white. Because like Moon Knight is basically Marvel's version of Batman. You know, so he's always supposed to have been like kind of crazy and like a vigilante that you know protects the night. Khonshu is the god of like the those who travel at night. So the Moon Knight's job is to look look over them. So what he like you know stops muggings and like all the crimes that happen at night. I think having Jordi Belair on this with his coloring is really, it makes the book very strong. Because it could be with all that white, it could look all washed out and not very distinct. And that's not how this is at all. No, not at all. Not one bit. To me, it was just like visually, it's just, it's like a buffet, you know, it's it's of just like good stuff. You know, it's it's very visually pleasing throughout the whole book. I also noticed there's a panel where one of the inmates is telling him that he's like the fist of Khonshu and he's like touching each of his hands. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, you see there's a circle in the, the panel, right? And then there's that panel I was talking about later when he starts fighting the guards. And every time he's hitting them, you see that circle repeated. Yeah, that was awesome. So that's like he's, you know, reawakening like the, mm-hmm. the powers of Moon Knight. But this was really cool. I liked the ambiguity. I thought it was really visually amazing. I'm a big fan. You know what? I I really enjoyed this. This is definitely... I'm going to give this a four red or four crimson hair picks. And you have to read the comic <laughs> to find out why I'm saying that. I gave it four Anubis heads. Nice. I will give it four conchus. There you go. The next comic we're covering is called House of Penance, number one. Dark Horse comic, written by Peter J. Tomasi, 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 there we go, and Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, and art by Ian Bertram, and color by Dave Stewart. This was actually one of Christina's picks. Actually, me and her discussed it, we both wanted to make sure this was covered. And also, by the way, Monstrous was her other pick, which we aren't, unfortunately, going to get to tonight. But I want to say, if you've been following along with Monstrous with us, be sure to read it. It actually answers a lot. You get a lot more information, especially the last panel, about the world. And touch note on that real fast. House of Pen is number one. I think I can say for the nerds here in this podcast, this is something that we could easily relate to. It is basically a story about the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California, our personal stomping grounds. So things called out and mentioned to th- in this comic we know about <laughs> and have <laughs> been there probably multiple times. And, and for those of you who don't know anything about Sarah Winchester and the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California, it is a house that was built and it has stairways that lead to nowhere and doors that on in roofs and it is all sorts of kind of crazy tiny little staircase it was like for like three inches tall it's just any sort of crazy architectural thing you can think of it was put into this house and the story goes that building never stopped and this is reflected in this comic and shown in there so anyone who knows this mythos everything it's laid out in this issue one everything about that you've ever learned about the Winchester Mystery House. The seance room. So basically, Sarah Winchester thought she was haunted. She lost her husband and child, her daughter, and was haunted, or thought she was haunted by all the ghosts the people ever killed by Winchester Rife. And to appease those ghosts, she had to build this house that would confuse them or 
keep them away from her, and the sounds of the hammers building kept them away and would not drive her insane, but she... Reminds me of, like, the bells we saw in the last, uh, what was it, the the other one from Dark Horse. The Baltimore one, yeah, keeping away the spirits. With a demon to, to keep away spirits. And so, basically, the comic book shows this happening. So, there's all these people working there, and it shows them, if you want to work here, like, people applying for the job and lining up. And she's saying, you can work here, you have to turn over all your firearms. And this is about Wild West-era time, where everyone seemed to have a piece on them. So, she, and it shows her sitting there taking them and pulling apart bullets and dumping out the the gunpowder and throwing the cases away and dropping into like this deep pit all these guns and and just her just going at that and her just sitting and you has neat panels of the workers talking like you know oh a staircase to nothing again great (laughs) and just the making comments about it and i do like some of the panels that actually show the winchester mr house if you recognize it you can see that part for but then they expanded it show like it like maybe back in the day it was even bigger than what we know now because it was like this huge like even more so and it's a pretty massive building victorian like building and it's in the panel it was even bigger like you saw the part that i'm familiar with and then there's even more and then it cuts away to someone that said they were in i want to say the san joaquin which is just maybe 45 minutes away from San Jose. A cowboy, and he's and he is basically killing Native Americans, and, like with a like, rifle, shooting them. And he talk, he's talking about how he when he thinks he got them all, he's like, "Good, I'm gonna go put arrows in those bullet wounds and make it." I really like the art style on this one. That's for sure. So he was saying he's gonna put arrows in the bullet wounds that he just incurred to start like a tribal war in that area. And as he goes down there, he sees that one was actually carrying a baby, which that really upsets me because we all know I don't like when kids are hurt. And that was off. But the rest of the comic was good, so I'll let it pass because it actually didn't really show anything. He just kind of said it. Oh, no. I guess you didn't see the panel. Well, I saw it, but it was like you saw like the lump, but there was no like face or, you know. There's a huge hole in that kid. No, there's a huge hole, but there's no kind of hard. You can't really tell what it is. Like, you know, but you don't know. Okay, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give you your willful blindness. Yes. I mean, I, I was clear, yeah. You know, it was a Bjorn, a baby Bjorn, like, carrying thing. So that was clear, but I didn't see, like, half of a baby face is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, so it shows him with his conflict that he, another one comes and tries to attack him about baby. And I think it's, and he gets injured. And I think he's kind of upset about it, but not really. But eventually this cowboy shows up on the Winchester property and it's a ways away. They're showing it like San Jose, like the town proper tries to keep its distance. For, and it always shows the ding, 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 like thump, thump, thump sounds around every time they show it in a panel to show that the sound is permeating. But he shows up and he's in the barn. They will, you need to turn over your gun and you want to so this guy basically is embodies everything that sarah thinks has been going on with her guns you know he's killed a bunch of native americans with them and he's like hands it over and and the guy leaves and says well we'll get you a position to build in the morning and takes his guns and leaves and asks him for everything you, you have a derringer or a whatever and it ends with him saying oh this is as good a time as any for place for me to die I'm like, oh, anything you know about the Winter's Mystery House means that you're going to be stuck there if you're dead in a spirit. So, and then basically there's also things where it shows Sarah being crazy. <laughs> I guess that's not as interesting to me because I already know she's crazy <laughs> from the legends. But yeah, getting letters from family members who are worried, saying that she's blowing through her money, spying all these, on this huge building project and all that kind of stuff. And the artwork, at first I was kind of like, wasn't sure how I felt about it. It is very much in that kind of like muted tone, Western kind of feel, if that makes sense. Like everything's kind of really muted. I like when she's crazy, it gets a little bit squigglier and kind of like more like... Yeah. 
unsettled, I guess, in the line work. So especially for Sarah. It's interesting to me. I think it has might have more interest to me being that I know about the Winchester Mystery House. I'm not sure how someone who's not familiar with that will take it. I liked it. I thought that this book does does crazy eyes really well. There are times when, you know, it shows like Sarah with her eyes and those are some serious crazy eyes. It does it really, really well. There's also, there's a scene where you have the table uh, laid out with Mm -hmm. all the bullets on it and it's kind of, the shot is like from her, like she's on one end of the table and the viewer is on the other, but the angle is kind of tilted weird. And that, that, to me, that was a really interesting shot. Like it really plays with the perspective on the bullets. Yeah. I I really enjoyed that one particular panel. I thought was really good. I thought the story was interesting. Um, Like you said, I mean, I know about the Winchester Mystery House, so it's hard for me to say if someone doesn't know about it. I think this lays it out pretty clearly. You may not realize that this is based on a true story when you read it, but everything in here is at least true or could have been true so far from what I know. True. And to that point, it goes back to my thing where I love where people take known legends and stories and build a new storytelling device through that and, you know, twist it into a new kind of story. So this totally fits in that and I look forward to seeing what they do with it because I'm a fan. I give it three and a half staircases to nowhere. I gave it three and a half crazy eyes. Those were some pretty good crazy eyes. (laughs) Those were some pretty good crazy eyes. Poor Sarah. So I had a book from Image Comics. I had uh, Black Road number one written by Brian Wood, art by Gary Brown, colors by Dave McKay. If I don't know if any of you read Northlanders, which was a, a really awesome series about Vikings that Brian Wood did. So this is kind of a return, not to the same world, because this is more fantasy-based, like Northlanders was strictly historical, whereas this one has more like supernatural stuff in it. But this is basically the story of this guy named uh, Magnus the Black, who's this you know, Norwegian Viking uh, guy whose wife has died. It looks like maybe of the plague. I'm not sure. But he has buried her and he's come into town. And the town is being invaded by Christians, basically, by, like, missionaries. And they're building churches and they're, like, forcibly converting everyone over. Like, they have they have a scene uh, in the street where they're, like, staking someone out on the, the ground. And they, they talk about how they'll, like, flay their ribs until they, like, glow in the, like, sunlight. So pretty brutal conversions. So Magnus uh, gets approached by some priests to take someone, a priest even further north along what they call like the Black Road, which is this, you know, horrible place where where people die and there are bandits everywhere. And it's, it's very, very dangerous to, to travel the Black Road. So they pay him a lot of money to, to do it. And he, he takes the priest who is, to me, kind of a more interesting guy. Like, he's not as fire and brimstone as the other people. Like, he, they talk a little bit about some religious ideas about basically um, about hell and having to be baptized and um, what happens with people, like little like, babies who die, and what about people who never had the opportunity to hear about Christ, what happens to them. So he's kind of explaining some, some lofty ideas in Christianity, but he's doing it without being super academic about it. You know, it's pretty relatable what he's saying. So when he tells Magnus that, you know, people who were good but hadn't had the opportunity to convert to Christianity, that they don't necessarily go to hell, that they can go to, like, basically purgatory. I think that, because I think Magnus, the big thing he talks about is if he just wanted to make a bunch of money, he would just be out Viking. But he's he's trying to decide what to do about these Christians. Is he going to join them? Is he going to kill them? He doesn't. He doesn't understand them yet. And before he's going to do something about them, 
one way or the other, he wants to he wants to understand them more. So I think when he hears that, that kind of sways him maybe a little more to their side. And then road, they get attacked by these bandits. And there's some pretty cool fight scenes. Like the fight scenes are really brutal. Like they don't seem like a choreographed like dance that people are doing. These are people trying to kill each other as like gruesomely as they they can. It's it's very violent and and visceral. So the the priest gets murdered by these travelers on the road, and he gets stabbed like so many times. Like the first guy who stabs him, I'm like, oh damn, that was you know pretty brutal. Like the the sound effects when they're stabbing him really drive home that sound of like a knife going into like meat basically. Then he just gets stabbed like in the back. And and the shoulder and just like every person is like is stabbing him it's it's pretty brutal and then you find out the kind of the big secret that the priest who was escorting them has a yeah. daughter who's following them as well and she's some kind of like mystic i think who has uh these visions um and magnus has also been having these kind of like nightmares when he sleeps about like everything burning so they're on this road together now what i liked about the story is like anytime you have a story that features like a road in it it's always about like a journey you know from one place to another and the the characters evolve and change over time and i like in this story that magnus doesn't know what to do about these christians or he's trying to identify it because he says like you know the old gods they don't listen to them anymore and they're they're silent when their people like need them but the Christians, like their God is is active in the world and seems to be, you know, kind of powerful. But they always talk about, and this was, I thought, kind of an interesting commentary on like a lot of Christianity, speaking, you know, as, as a Christian, <laughs> that they talk a lot about uh, this God of love and mercy, but their actual actions are really brutal and anything but what the what they say that they they believe in so he's not really sure what to think about so i i like the idea of this travel along this road that you know promises lots of bloody viking adventure but that it also seems to be about more than that like they're on a journey of of discovery like not only of the external mysteries that are going on in the world but internally what they're going to do and what they think so i i enjoyed it a lot I really like the Viking stories that Brian Wood writes, and this one is, is a pretty good one. He definitely knows his art and his storytelling. It just wasn't for me. Like sometimes I don't know if it's just because it's too heavy or just too... I just had a really hard time just getting into it. Like I appreciate that it was what it was doing. I just didn't want it to do it for me. Well, I, I think of all the nerds, we're probably the most diametrically opposed in what we like. So I can see how if I really like something for its darkness and heaviness that you'll be like, ooh, that's very dark and heavy. I don't like that. I don't, if I don't want to be bummed out, I don't want to do that for my entertainment. I love being bummed out by my entertainment. Yeah, that's weird. But I, I love these Viking stories, so I'm, I'm all on board. So I think I will give this three and a half forced conversions. <laughs> What'd you give it, Carissa? Two, it bummed me out. So a book that wasn't a bummer. You had one, Rory. Yes, jackpot number one. Now, this one... It's kind of like funny because I've got a, you know, my selections that I made here. It's like we go from one guy who's locked up into an insane asylum to another one, which is basically it's a heist. So which is these are kind of like themes that I enjoy. And so Jackpot is basically it kind of like just shoves you right into the action right off the bat. This is Aftershock Comics written by Ray Fox, art by Marco Falia. And colors by Steph Stephanie Renee. So yeah, it, they really just like dump you into the story really quickly without really explaining much. It kind of almost gives you like that. Uh, what is his name? Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Like feel where it's, it's you're just kind of like dumped into the story without much explanation going on. They really 
introduce the characters in the same sort of the same sort of manner where it's like they're all spread out and there's all kinds of very cinematic. It definitely has that cinematic thing. Yes. Da-da-da, the genius. Da-da-da, the card shark. Yeah. Yeah, and that was which I really appreciated that once I caught on to what was going on because it's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, it really makes you feel like you're you're in a heist movie. So the plot per- progresses really quickly on this one, and unfortunately, like for me, that's the only downside of this was that it, it, it felt like the plot happened, it was over, and it's like, it, it, while it did leave me wanting more, it's like, I wanted a little bit more in this issue also. It was very, the, the artwork in this is, is, although it's, I would call it very, I would say it would be typical comic book style artwork, if that makes any sense. However, the, the coloring on it is just phenomenal. The artwork is very good. It's nice and detailed, very nice, very pleasing to the eye. The story, it makes me want more, but there's not enough of it. That's the, it's, it's really like one of those things where it's like, this could be a great series, or this could be an absolute steamer, too, if it doesn't go. Because it doesn't really like give you much about the characters. It doesn't really give you much about why they're doing what they're doing. And so that that was my only mark on it. It's it's, it's exciting, but it's hard to tell what direction this is going to go. It's unlike the rest of our selections. You know, it, this one didn't really tell me like strongly that it's like, oh, this is going to be fun. I thought it was fun. Like I really liked that part where it was really cinematically laid out. I dig that. I was confused by some of it at first because I was like, because first I'm like, okay, they're talking about this guy, okay, and that's the mark or whatever. And then like there was like the camera underneath. I'm like, oh, there's a camera. I thought the camera underneath would be for our people not that there are parts where i got confused what was at who i was supposed to be following basically in the story and who i wasn't but other than that i mean i really liked it i mean there definitely has a lot of those kind of like huh moments but i think you know i mean obviously that was i think that was intentional because there's you know, there's uh definitely like a yeah. mystery about this weird bombs just showing up yeah <laughs> that you're not supposed to know what's going on i get that part I thought it was fun. I mean, it was interesting. It wasn't something I normally would have picked. I always was, for a while, there was like, it wasn't as comical. I was expecting more of like an Archer type of <laughs> like feel, but it's not a comedy at all. Do you want ants? Because this is how we get ants. <laughs> Do you want nerds? This is how we get nerds. <laughs> Do you want suddenly appearing dynamite? Because this is how we get suddenly appearing dynamite. <laughs> And like and like the chick died but didn't and so yeah I'm just like the mystery I'm like whoa what it starts out very yeah. it's very cinematic I love how they do when they introduce the the yeah. person and they have like their name and then what they're doing in the con like I I love those panels I think that's really cool that you're shown what they do rather than having it all necessarily explained to you like you get to see the con playing out this reminds me a lot of like uh, like Ocean's Eleven or any of those kind of movies yeah. where you have like a, a con that's taking place like a big criminal heist with everyone having a really specialized role the part with that's the twist on it is this like shadowy organization that i think can kind of maybe manipulate some reality like they make those bombs appear that lady dies then she's not dead i think when i read the synopsis for this series is eventually they're going to run like a con on uh, like god himself so i don't know who these people are in this room if they're you know, demons or angels or or what they are, um, but they seem to have some control over parts of reality. So I think it's going to be interesting. I, I thought it was really cool. I like the uh, there's a scene where the the guy who's the the heat basically shoots uh, two guys through the head, like one boat to another, which is a really you know very difficult shot to make, and it just kind of came out of nowhere too, which I appreciate with the sniper rifle that it's you know very unexpected when the shot actually comes. So. There were lots of parts that I liked. I thought it was clever. It kept me interested. It was a little... There was a lot to keep track of, but I didn't feel that that was necessarily a bad thing. I just thought it was 
it's a very complicated thing that they're trying to do. So everyone has a part in it. So I, I enjoyed it. It made me want to read more. I definitely want to know more of what's going on. But I, I will say, if they hadn't put any of the weird supernatural stuff in it, I would have liked it just as much if it was just a heist book. So we'll see how the supernatural stuff fits in with it. Originally, that was like the the whole thing that got me to select this one off, off the bat because you know, yeah, I read the synopsis and it was like, yeah, a heist against God, and I was like, oh man, how can you, you know, how can you go wrong with that? Because like, I'm I'm a big fan of like, you know, the crime crime type movies. You know, like you said, Ocean's Love and stuff like that. You know, it's like I love heist movies. I, you know, I, I'm obsessed with these things. I was like a heist, and then against God, I was like, where is this going to go? And then when I read the comic book, it's like, yeah, it's it's you know, it's got that heist feel down for sure. It kind of reminds me almost like of Time Bandits. You know, when they're going to exactly, you know. But in in all honesty, it's like, yeah, part of me just wanted to go like, hey, why don't we just keep it a heist thing? Because it's like they've got that down. I loved how like when the it shows up, you know, they're like explaining all about her and like, oh, she's, um, you know, memorized, you know, memorized the placement of the cards that are in the deck and done this and done that. You know, she's disarmed two people. And, you know, like, I'm really excited about that character for starters. But the way they like, you know, it's that one character that every crime film has that it's just like they are just the ultimate con. Yeah. You know. Uh, I don't know. It's it definitely left me wanting more. There's a lot undiscovered, you know. I'd have to say on this one, like I said, I do want more content, but what they did give me was so enjoyable. I'm gonna have to definitely give this one three and a half or suddenly appearing dynamites. Gave it two and three quarters black cats. Nice. Oh, you took the cat. That's what I was gonna use. I <laughs> I will give it four combinations when they crack the safe using the person's birthday. Oh god, that was so hilarious. <laughs> Only Unity would put this on it. <laughs> it was like what was it? it was like his mom's birthday. It was something. his mom's birthday, yeah. So this it's kind of a tribute one, yeah. Yeah. We've been reading Limbo from Image Comics for, for most of these, and Matt has really liked them, and Matt's more behind the scenes now, so we thought we, we would finish out Limbo. So this is Limbo number six, Image Comics, written by Dan Waters and art by Casper Winyard. <laughs> Craziness. <laughs> yeah, crazy. It, but it was really good. Like, I really liked the ending. The last panel was like, oh, okay, I'll get to that. It shows him after he's they've left the the land underneath the sea and he's uh, body riding uh, Sandy and the luchador crime boss guy confronts basically Bridget saying we know you're involved in all this and basically first they're kind of talking circles around each other basically kind of basically him saying I know who you are before she finally says like yep that's me and like you know what does that mean and what this is what are you guys doing and and all like that and basically they all eventually get into a room because what it comes down to is they want to know if he's going to kill the crime boss you know who's going to win the bet is he going to kill him or is he not they kind of um, manipulate him in a way basically or Saturday kind of manipulates him in a way because he says well kill him so and you'll get Sandy back I'll leave her body and she'll be intact and she'll be fine and that's really what he cares about because that's his friend that's the person who stood by him Bridget's going no you don't have to kill him you can make other choices which I actually think in a way Bridget did kind of win because he did it to be nice he didn't do it to be a sleazebag and like an evil a bad guy right you know by the terms of the stakes by him killing it made Saturday win in a way but I do like that when 
he comes in, he's wearing the He-Man knockoff. Mando. Mando, yes, he's wearing Mando's head as a necklace. And, like, that's how, like, was hiding, basically, when they snuck in. I love that. And he's like, hi! And then Mando, like, from the chest, there was, like, a little bubble, like, hi! <laughs> it was cute. <laughs> it amused me. Anything with Mando amuses me. So then it gets really strange. So he does that, and they kind of, like, go their away, and she shows her real face, and he leaves. And he's like, oh, I'll see you around, wife. She's like, yeah, I'll see you. And then it picks up like from the first issue again it looks like so at the beginning of the first issue he's leaving to go to the to the, to the roadhouse and he's talking to sandy and it definitely at first it doesn't seem like the first it's like he's like oh she left us here this place is a mess and he's putting on her coat but then it's super deja vu like it's repeating itself and i wasn't sure at first if that's really what was happening but that's how i kind of felt and then when like then it shows him in the roadhouse and then you see like the two like thugs that gave him a hard time at the beginning of the first issue and i'm like I think those are the same guys. They look very similar. I mean, they could just be more rednecks or weird Dagon like rednecks. I don't know. And so I'm like, I wasn't sure. But then the last panel totally made it feel that way. So she finds a tape and she puts it in and she's watching it. And it's really interesting because it's a recording. And he was like, oh, it's not nothing. It's a recording him in the hospital and them like saying that his, because they mentioned his fingers were twitching. Right, tapping out the SOS, yeah. Yeah, they're saying he's typing out SOS. but And they're like, oh, and you hear on the tape, it's all fuzzy and static. And you see doctors, oh, his fingers stopped twitching. Oh, oh, we think we're losing him and all the other stuff like that. And then someone's like, oh, what's that TV doing on? And like, oh, I'll get it. And it turns in Saturday and he has the mask down and he's going to turn it off. And like, it's, it's like, oh, symbolic. Like, as I turn it off, his, he's going to end, right? You know, the life's gonna go out. But it's like he's repeating it, like he, that he's getting another chance, like, to redo the story again. Well, yeah, because I mean, the last thing is rewind. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just, you know, it's just stop, rewind. And so, I thought that was really interesting. So, like, the wager's still going on. So, I thought that was a really interesting way to stop to end this story. I really like that. I kind of like that kind of thing. It, I mean, I think you guys have been bigger fans of Limbo than I have. Um, but there are there are parts in here that I liked that I thought were pretty cool. I yeah. really liked the part, and this is what definitely earned it a higher rating just based on the strength of this part where the, the thumb is talking about violence and how society is built on violence and the threat of violence and how if you don't occasionally have, you know, a, a public display of violence that the whole system will collapse. Like, I thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. i also liked when the main character the detective is like walking into the building and all the guards are trying to stop them and he's just beating the crap out of them i, I really enjoyed those those panels i also liked uh, like three basically sequences yeah. of him fighting like the guards and in the last panel he like goes and hits like one of the people and then all the other people are running away from him which i thought was a nice little little detail uh, I also thought it was really creepy when she like rips her face off to show you the the loa underneath. But that was that was kind of disturbing and pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I also like the idea that you know Saturday was riding the other person and thought that he was in control, but because he's so arrogant, um, he doesn't realize when he's being manipulated. Which is I think why he allows the guy to live. That she's able to force her will onto him and allow the the guy to live. And like you were saying, like basically get to go back to the beginning of this so i don't know if there's another wager that's going on like if it just keeps replaying itself yeah. over and over again um or if he's going to just get to live his life now without the interference of the the Loas, which seems unlikely they don't seem like they're going to leave him alone but you don't know it was it's it's a crazy yeah. ride that's what i will say and i like telling the story of a typical detective noir film like this happens and this happens until it's forced that this is going to happen i like that they 
played it out to, to that formula and was yeah. showing how it's fulfilling that. Like the dame comes into your office with a crime and it has to end in violence and then it all starts over again. It was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's a satisfying ending to it. So I gave it a good three and a half Mando heads. I will give it three and a half uh, Baron Saturdays. But I love the last panel. I love the ending. So, uh, Rory, in a, in a galaxy far, far away, you had a, a Star Wars comic for us. I got uh, this Star Wars episode with uh, C-3PO number one. Marvel Comics written by James Robinson, art by Tony Harris. You know... This one I've got a lot of mixed feelings about because when I first saw, you know, the cover as I started looking at it, I was so excited because it's like, oh, it's going to be about C-3PO and his and his red arm and how he got it. And so, you know, I've been so curious about that since the movie. It really uh, made me excited. Going through, it basically what happens is that C-3PO and another bunch of droids uh, have been crash landed on this uh, on this planet this hostile planet and they also have an enemy an enemy droid that they've captured that's supposed to be basically interrogated later on so their whole mission is basically to keep this droid and keep him alive as they you know and obviously this because their ship crash landed they're trying to keep themselves alive too so it turns out that after not much not much time, they run into hostile creatures on the planet. And I'm just going to summarize it basically because on this one, I I'm not much of a I wasn't really much of a fan of the of the of the plot line. But basically, what happens is it in short is that they have you know they get attacked by monsters. Certain certain droids die. Use it to insert the typical typical droid robot, whatever term you want to use in this genre. Typical, you know, let's prove how human they are. You know, that I just feels like an overused plot device. Later on, as as the group slowly slowly gets dwindled down by you know sacrifice and all these other traits that the the droids have, despite their programming and showing how the different types of droids also their programming you know, draws them into this situation where they sacrifice themselves for the for the greater good. Eventually it gets down to just C-3PO and the, the final droid, and, or the enemy droid. And he, they are basically out, and acid rain starts, starts coming out of the sky. So they're hidden, they take refuge underneath this piece of a ship. The uh, So they have this, this little conversation basically about the robot, or I'm sorry, the, the droid is uh, painted black, and so when the acid rain starts hitting him, he looks at his at his paint that is coming off, and he goes, oh, look, I have a red undercoating. I wonder when this was, because that's one of the conversations that he has with C-3PO early on, is about, you know, how they really don't know which side that they've served or, uh, you know, what they've done throughout their history, because they're constantly getting their memory erased so you know he mentions he goes oh look you know i had this red red undercoating who would have known how long has it been here blah 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 and then he decides to basically sacrifice himself because basically the acid rain would eventually go through this uh, piece of the ship that they're hiding underneath which and then they're both going to die so he decides that he's going to sacrifice himself to keep c3po alive and gives him the information he was looking for you know as the moment of self-sacrifice and so that's what happens is that the droid goes and turns on this homing beacon that saves c-3po's life c-3po takes his arm as a uh, as essentially like a, a something to remember him by you know there's the the uh, moment of uh, you know he sacrifices himself despite the uh, despite the fact that they're on the opposite sides then towards the end you know there's one cool scene where you know c-3po has his arm attached to him and he's having a conversation with the other droids about how he's gonna 
use it to remember them by. And then he looks off into this window off into space and he sees like, you know, it's basically like the, the typical Jedi force. Uh, when, it, when a Jedi dies, you know, they'll see their, their, their ghosts in the force. And so that's basically what they kind of did with the droids on this one, which I thought that was a cool touch, but yeah, I, I honestly, I just didn't care for the story much. It it's, it's a theme that's way overused when you're dealing with, you know, any sort of robot Android, right. you know, uh, the, you know, how human are we, you know, exploring that. It's just, I mean, it it could be done in more interesting ways than what was done. The theme that I picked up on wasn't necessarily how much, like, how human are we? Like, there was that going on, but what caught me for interest is, like, why do people fight wars? You know, like, these droids talk about, you know, our programming makes us on opposite sides, and the people that we, that are our masters make us on opposite sides, but, you know, given different circumstances... You know, we, we could be on completely different sides, which, I mean, the idea of your your masters is kind of like how your parents raised you and your programming is kind of like your culture, you know? So it's like why we're all fighting, we're all like these puppets that are fighting for for other people, which I thought was an interesting idea. And that last panel you're talking about where he looks kind of in the reflection and sees everybody, it reminded me a lot of like those pictures you'll see sometimes where they have like the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and you'll see the person like touching the wall and then you'll see... Like kind of like a like a ghostly image of someone else on the other side of the wall. Like that's what it reminded me of. Um, but now you're talking about it. They are blue, like force ghosts. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what their what their intent was, but I, you know, I mean, that's actually one one angle that I didn't think of. And yeah, it could have been like that's what they were going for because he was talking about how he was like one. He wanted to keep the arm to remember them by. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just took it, you know, given where we're at, you know, I took it as being the Star Wars thing. But yeah, you're right. It could be. Uh, yeah, like the uh, the war memorial flashback type thing, and that's a good angle on it too. I mean, I I didn't I wasn't crazy about the art in this. It seemed really like kind of rough to me. I was not. Oh, really? I kind of felt the opposite way. That's the one thing that really saved this for me is that I can't I can't explain exactly why, but I I liked the uh, his his the the artist's particular hand with this. It really to me it really had like a Star Warsy feel. It, it definitely kept me in. I like I said I can't explain the exact elements of what it was that drew me in, but it definitely is something that I liked. I, I will say there's really interesting panel construction. Like, it's not just square boxes. Like, every page has varied panels, different size panels, different shapes for panels. Yes. Like, they really do a lot with the, the actual panel work of the of the story, which is... Yes, yes, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So what did you end up giving uh, C-3PO number one? That is really hard. So as I said, you know, the, the particular elements of the story that I was picking up on, I wasn't necessarily all that crazy about. It wasn't horribly written. It, it just, it wasn't, I like to see, with stories, I like to see something new. So for me, I'm going to have to give it, I'll give it two and three quarter uh, dissolving androids because, I mean, really what it comes down to it is that, I did enjoy the artwork. It, you know, it had a very Star Wars feel to it. I just thought the story was just kind of bland for me and could have had more to it. So that's my thoughts. I think I gave it three and a half construction droids. I liked that little construction oh, droid. He was, he was awesome. And I loved how yeah, when he died, it was like he did the construction droid. Oh, oh. It's like, oh, man, can you get more campy? <laughs> it's kind of like an I am Groot because all you can say is like, you know, his name basically and his function. You know, but he can express yeah. a lot with that. So I, I thought that was cool. So we had Star Wars uh, Darth Vader, which is written by, it's from Marvel Comics, of course. It's written, written by Karen Gillan, uh, art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Edgar Delgado. So this is basically 
the the final story of Darth Vader on this uh, this mining planet, where basically you see he has this battle with the the two. They're not Jedi. They're like cybernetically enhanced to simulate Jedi abilities. They have this big duel on this uh, lava bridge. Uh, you know, very reminiscent. So that feels very Star Wars to me. So the two realize that they they can't defeat Vader. They're talking to each other, and one of them says like, "Oh, you know, we're we're never going to defeat uh, Darth Vader." And like the brother pushes her off the the cliff into the lava, or into, I'm sorry, the bridge, like into the lava. He's like, "You're right. We never will. I will." You know, so it's kind of like you see the dark side, uh, the power of the dark side there. So he and Vader uh, depart from each other because Vader uses the Force to collapse the bridge to stop the fight, and then he uses the Force to, like the lady's like screaming in the lava, like she's screaming for a couple panels in there. It's it's not a quick death for her, which you think would be pretty fast being dunked in, in burning lava, but I guess it takes a while. So Vader pulls her out of the the lava um, while she's dying, and he she reveals some of the secrets, um, like who's betrayed him and, and all of that. So Vader now knows what's going on. And you have earlier, you had the, the evil droids that their version of like C-3PO is rallying all of the, the droids to fight the humans with their... We talked about earlier in the last issue where he talked about he was going to rig up basically for these droids to be able to drain the blood from, from people to use to power the force because droids can't use the force because they don't have any living material. So the, the humans that are fighting them are like terrified by this. And you, you know, it's not really clear. Did he actually rig them up to do that? Or is this just a bluff that he uh, told them so that they would be afraid to fight him? But either way, Vader comes back uh, and they're able to to crush those those rebel forces. And then they show up at the the fortress of the the Iron Lords. And that's where they realize, you know, now with the Imperial forces there and with Vader there, that there's no way they can continue. So the leader of the rebellion surrenders and the queen who has been Vader's, not quite his apprentice, but definitely learning a lot from him, uh, has him executed immediately for daring to to rise up against her. And then she appoints the daughter to be the heir rather than like the rightful heir who's the son uh, because she tells – and Vader is like, well, why did you do that? And he tells – she tells Vader that she finds that young people who aren't prepared for power are the easiest to manipulate. And then Vader says like something like agreed, which is exactly what he did to her, that she's, she was not supposed to be the heir. So he killed the actual king of that planet and put her in place and then has been proceeding to manipulate her. So she's she's learning from, from Vader. The part that I like the most about this at the end – is you see the inspector that you've seen earlier who was investigating uh, Darth Vader's heist, that he's shown up again. Like, he's one of the only people who I feel is an actual challenge for Vader. Uh, so I'm, I'm very interested to see him back in the, the storyline. I there, there were good Star Wars moments in this, but I'm glad that they're off of this planet and off of this this storyline. I didn't find it terribly interesting. I did like the the duel, and I did appreciate the, the the inspector at the end. All of those, I ended up giving it three and a half lightsaber duels. We also had some Avengers standoff uh, titles in here. These ones, we're just gonna I'm just gonna give a real quick review for the the plot points that happen, and then give you my my ratings for them. So it starts out with Illuminati number six. Um, these are all from Marvel. This is written by Joshua Williamson, art by Mike Henderson, colors by John Rausch. So this is basically uh, Crusher Creel, uh, the Absorbing Man, has come out of Pleasant Hill. But while he was in Pleasant Hill, he 
was living the life as like the ice cream store worker. And he said that that was the happiest he'd ever been. And you find out that he finally worked up the courage to ask out like the town sheriff, who is actually Electra. And he's explaining all this to the, I want to say Red Hood, but it's not the Red Hood, the guy who runs the Illuminati. But he doesn't know that his wife is standing outside the door listening to him explain this. So she's really upset that the happiest he's ever been was you know, with someone else. And he, he tries to explain to her that it's uh, because they had a normal life and that's that's what he wants now. He doesn't want to be a supervillain anymore, but they've got one more, well, basically one more job to do that they have to find the people who did this to them and, and kill them. And then once they're done with that, then they can have a, a normal life. So I, I liked it enough. Uh, I thought that the part with, with Crusher having like all these conflicts about what's real and not real now that he's had reality warped around him was kind of interesting, but I didn't find it terribly compelling. But uh, overall, I ended up giving uh, Illuminati three and a half ice cream scoops, which then takes us into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, number three from Marvel Comics, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by German Perra, colors by Rachel Roseberg. I did not like this at all. I haven't liked any of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s books. They don't feel right to me. They're taking characters from the TV show and trying to put them into the comics, and I just, I've never really felt like they belong here. And this is basically just a rehash of the last Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, story. Or maybe it was all New Avengers. It's the one where they assault the helicarrier. Um, this is just replaying the scenes, like, from basically different points of view. So you had a couple conversations maybe you didn't hear before but i found it very very repetitive and i I was not a fan of this um the art's fine nothing spectacular but it's not there's nothing wrong with it it's just not very memorable one way or the other and like i said this being basically a rehash of something that we've already seen before i didn't feel like they really gave you that much new information like you see agent colson there's like an auction that's taking place for these these protocols to take down all the the superheroes that shield has worked out um so colson is uh fighting somebody um he's disguised as uh wolverine from madripoor like the the gangster that wolverine impersonates so why at first you don't know that at first you think it's like wolverine uh you know trying to steal these protocols and the guy who's fighting him is like oh don't you have your claws anymore which of course you know colson doesn't have but colson still basically kicks his ass uh with some knockout cast and and gets the protocols back. Um, but overall, I found this one to be repetitive and not very interesting. I ended up giving it two and a half stolen briefcases. It was not my favorite. Then the other Avengers standoff title was um, All New, All Different Avengers number eight, which is by uh, Mark Wade, art by Adam Kubert, colors by a lot of people did the coloring. Uh, Sonia Obak, Edgar Delgado, and Israel uh, Silva. So this one is basically all of the Avengers are waking up and confronting Kobeck and Quicksilver, uh, grab, Kobeck is trying to tell them all to go back to sleep. Quicksilver grabs them all and basically takes them away so that Kobeck can't affect them. And then Kobeck tracks them back down and they're they're starting to, to fight. Like all of the the villains are, are killing people and going crazy and Kobeck does not, is freaking out because her whole thing is everyone was supposed to be nice and, you know, forget about all the bad things in the world and this is not what's happening. So she's crying and she's very upset about it. And it's, it's funny because Deadpool is actually the one who is able to, to get through to her, that he, he talks to her when she's crying and tells him that he understands how she's feeling because he used to be controlled and manipulated by other people too. 
So she tells him to, or he tells her to go into his mind and see what happened. So she goes into Deadpool's mind, which does not seem like a good idea at all. But when she comes out, she realizes that uh, treating people like they're things and like objects to be played with is wrong. Probably because she's seen, you know, all the horrible like Weapon X stuff and torture that Deadpool has been through. So she restores all the Avengers back to their real forms. And then Captain America... All three uh, Caps, like Young Cap, the Falcon, and uh, Bucky, they're, uh, they do their Avengers Assemble at the end end of this uh, conclusion. So I think now that all, everyone's restored, there's going to be a big throwdown in, in Pleasant Hill. And I don't know what has happened with Kobe because she's seen, she's seen Deadpool's mind and then she teleported away. So I don't know if she's been driven mad, if she now understands what's going on. It's it's going to be very interesting to see. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come on back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. I just said them all. <laughs> Sorry.